listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back. It's great to be back making digital radio again. So today we are going to talk about getting marketing and sales on the same page. So getting alignment. And I guess... I don't even know why we need to talk about this. Can't we just hire a chief revenue officer and then just make it go away? Isn't it their job to do that? <laughs> Isn't it that simple? It is that simple. I, I guess there's two schools of thought here. It's that simple or it can't be done. <laughs> no in between. Well, it's the, the tale as old as time, right? The friction between sales and marketing that has existed for as long as sales and marketing has existed, I guess, right? Yeah, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Nobody even knows why they don't get along. They just don't get <laughs> along. They just don't get along. Yeah. I'm excited to dig into this with you because I know you've got good thinking on this and you've lived it firsthand, unlike me. You know, I really want to want to jump into it. So actually, I know where we start. You were a CMO for many years. So when you were trying to break down that barrier, where did you start? Oh, man. Well, you know, before I was a CMO and even before I was a marketer, I was a sales guy. Yeah. My career started in technology sales. I worked for a Silicon Valley companies selling ERP systems in the auto parts industry. So I bring some empathy, I guess, for the sales side into marketing. But, you know, after I left sales and got into operations, I I have to say I did lose some of that sales empathy. And definitely once I got into to marketing, because I came to appreciate how backward salespeople actually are. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I think it's an important point you just raised, though, which is, you know, the advice that every marketer is given when they come out of school as a marketer is, hey, go get a sales job. And most marketers resist it. They don't want to do it. Right. You know, there's and I think some of this modern selling series that we're close to wrapping up that we've been on for the last month and a half is about breaking down those those preconceived notions of what selling is. And when you come out of college and you, you know, someone says, get a job in sales, it sounds icky and it sounds like something I don't want to do. I didn't go to college to go you know, pound on doors is sort of like the perception of what you're walking into. And and with all, I'll even say, you know, my own personal experience, when I came out of college, I, I felt exactly that way. And in hindsight, I really wish I had taken a sales job right out of college. You know, like it would have been the best thing that I could have done in a B2B environment, in the types of sales environments, like the type, you know, DuPont, I would have, geez, working for Maria, that would have been amazing, right? Like how much would you have learned from that organization? So I think it's, you, may, you, you raise a really important point that you know, if you've never sold, if you're a marketer and you've never really sold anything, you need to find a, an opportunity to sell something, to, to get a chance to feel what that is like, even if it's just shadowing, but, but, but something that gives you a sense of what's going on as, as a salesperson, I think is really critical. So I think you're absolutely right. And my father gave me that advice you know, he he was a marketer and a CEO of a business. And he said, you have to go pound the sidewalks or nobody's going to listen to you. And you do need to understand the sales perspective and what it means to waste time on bad leads or to clarify and develop an opportunity to be rejected and to have the pressure of a quota. I mean, you need to have all those experiences to really develop empathy for the sales team. And sales is, I don't want to overstate this, but it is the most important role 
in an organization because nothing happens until something gets sold. Yeah. It's just that simple. But you know, you know, you, you asked me a question, so let me answer it. You know, when I became a CMO, how did I bridge this? I don't even know where I heard this, but this was the thing that really transformed my perspective on sales and marketing alignment. And it is this, that the disconnect or the issue between sales and marketing is not a problem to be solved. It's never going to be solved. There's always this dynamic tension that exists between those two functions and it needs to be managed. So it's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. And the best CMOs and the best chief sales officers understand that. And they know what's healthy tension and what's dysfunctional tension. But if you don't bring that perspective you know, to the table, you're going to be trying to solve a problem that's not solvable. Yeah, I think that's a really healthy way to look at it because I also think about, you know, and we'll get a little bit mushy here for a second, but you think about organizational dynamics and culture, right? And if you if you spend your time, you know, if you're the CMO or you're the marketing lead or the sales lead, whatever your role is, and you're spending your time kind of fostering this culture in your team of finger pointing, well, they're the problem, right? They're the reason we can't get this done, or they're not listening, or they're not selling the way I'm, you know, the, the way we framed this this point of view on the market. Well. You know that that's probably unhealthy because that's not collaborative and that's not driving the organization forward. And as you've said so many times, right? Clients don't care. You know, to clients, it's one thing: marketing, sales, and, and delivery. It's all one thing. It's one firm, and they don't really care. So you have to get out of that. So, so I, I love that notion of managing the tension. So I guess that means understand the tension and and work. Is it working to minimize the tension, or is it just just working to get the most out of it? <laughs> I think it is to get the the most out of it. That's yeah. really a good way of saying it. I, I actually was going to say to maximize the tension, but that might be a little unhealthy. But it is to get the most out of the tension. And it's I think what makes that valuable or the awareness of the tension, the self-awareness of the tension is what makes it valuable. You know, it's like realizing that you have some foible and say, oh, I own this foible. And by owning it, it allows you to control it. And I think the tension's the exact same way. So get the most out of it without creating dysfunction that hurts the organization, the finger pointing and the us versus them that you just described. Yeah. You laid out three steps in kind of our pre-talk. So I want you to walk through those because I think the way you frame this is that your objective is to manage the tension. And here's three steps on how you're going to kind of work through that. So let's start at the beginning. So I, I think the most important step once you've realized it is an intention, is you have to bring these two teams together and they need to be brought together with a shared goal and not some, you know, ethereal goal, but a very tangible goal. You know, Drucker says the purpose of an organization is to get and keep a customer. Well, that's the goal, get and keep a customer. We can all share that because that's what leads to revenue for the entire organization. So what is the right KPI then? I think that's something very different and where most people go wrong. I find that the best measure of a collaborative, well-managed tension between sales and marketing is a sales qualified lead. You know, most people say, well, no, it's a marketing qualified lead. 
maybe a gray area there. But the sales qualified lead to me says to marketing, yeah, you're giving me leads that are of value to me that I can actually do something with. And the effort and the work comes around, okay, what are the attributes of a sales qualified lead? And to what degree can marketing drive to those so that we're sending the best leads to sales and nurturing the ones that aren't quite ready yet and knowing the difference between the two and when you should hand one off and when you shouldn't. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you you use that phrase, sales qualified lead, only because I had so many things going through my head when you said it. Where I netted out as you were talking and I was listening to you was that I actually think that is probably the biggest point of tension is that often there's just a disconnect between what sales really wants that qualified lead to look like and what marketing is confident they can deliver. And it's sort of like there's a gap between the two. And then closing that gap is is either really, really hard or maybe even not possible. And so it's like figuring out how to both agree on like what you'd really like to have and what you're willing to accept and find some some gray area in between where both parties can be happy. Our attorney, our, our corporate attorney likes to say when you're when you're negotiating a deal, he's like, your goal is basically to get a deal in which both parties are slightly unsatisfied. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, because if everybody, if someone's really happy, then someone's really unhappy. And so especially when you've got maybe a, a really competitive deal scenario. I think that's a great analogy. It it is. And that's where the tension stems from. Yeah. Right? He said, she said, I want, you want, and nobody is ever completely pleased. And and what makes it even more difficult is you could, you know, have some objective sales qualified lead criteria, meet it, and salesman one will love it, and salesman two won't. Yeah. Because of salesman two's strengths and weaknesses around or passion for a given product or solution or whatever the case may be, they're gonna have reservations about that. Again, that's why attention exists. Yeah, It's why the next step is really important, I think, in this process. You want to move to it? Well, before we do, I want to ask you a quick question because, yeah. you know, in the outline, you, you and I talked about, you know, shared goals need to be quantitative and qualitative. So you, I want you to talk about the qualitative side of that. Quantitative might be, you know, agreement on the definition of what a sales qualified lead looks like and how many and how frequently and all that stuff. And that's totally great. And then maybe that ladders up to revenue or other things, but maybe it doesn't. I want to put those words in your mouth. What does the qualitative side of that look like? The qualitative side of that in my mind is the ideal client profile. Okay. You know, agreeing on the demographic and more importantly, the psychographic and why that's so important in managing the tension and aligning sales and marketing is that marketing is nothing more than sales at scale. So you're not going to be effective at marketing unless you've clearly segmented your markets and you're speaking directly to the needs of that market. You cannot be all things to all people. So that's why you have to make those strategic choices. Well, that cascades down into sales. I mean, when we look at sales metrics, sales want shorter revenue cycles. They want increased sales productivity. They want higher close rates. They want larger deals. Well, all that ideal client work is designed to enable that by selling to the same type of people under the same types of conditions with the same type of needs gives you scale and allows you to 
perform better around those KPIs. But if a salesperson keeps going off and just trying to close whatever he can close, you're reinventing the wheel all the time. Yeah. So the qualitative aspect is not an exercise in creating some kind of generic personas or you know something that just sits in a marketing plan. It's designed to get alignment so that you can get scale in marketing and sales. I really like that phrase, marketing is sales at scale. That's actually probably the best thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. <laughs> it's just a great like snippet one ladder. That should be the title of your book. Marketing is sales at scale. Uh, well, I wish I could say I invented that, but I'm sure somebody much wiser than I. Nah. Point that first. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Okay, so let's move to step two then. So step one is about getting shared goals. What's step two? So step two to me is about where are you going to focus the energy of these two organizations? And generally, they're bifurcated along a continuum that, you know, leads to traditional marketing and sales problems, right? And in professional services and B2B firms, you know, marketing likes to just wash your hands of all the sales and go manage brand, brand umbrella, and, and, you know, talk about values and culture and, you know, manage their pretty brand identity stuff. And sales wants marketing to just either just give me leads or help me write up this proposal. When really, <laughs> the real value and the synergy between those two is in between those and looking for opportunities along the buyer's cycle, the buyer's journey to reduce friction. Because if you find out why people aren't buying and you prioritize you know, those hurdles or friction and sales and marketing work together to eliminate it, then sales cycles speed up, close rates increase, and you develop the trust and relationship that, you know, Blair and, and Maria and Andy talked about in some of our earlier podcasts and building relationship and trust by eliminating the friction in the buyer's journey. And I don't see many organizations thinking in those terms, but man, if you really want to build synergies between sales and marketing, that's the way to do it. You know what strikes me as interesting, and I don't know that I have the answer here, but you know, I've been reflecting on some of the things that we heard from Blair and, and, and this notion of friction. And I'm noticing that sometimes removing friction is slightly at odds with value-based selling and value-based pricing. I would actually argue, I don't think it's about necessarily reducing friction. It's about understanding that friction and managing against it. Because I've noticed I have a couple of clients where their intentions are good. They've worked really hard to simplify the way they price and the way that they propose on work. And that way, the way they do that actually does dramatically reduce friction in the buying process. 
The yield, though, is that they're not pricing their work at the highest value they're creating, and they're probably missing out a little bit on ancillary value they could be creating for clients. I actually think it's a really interesting dichotomy around like, you know, I don't know if it's it should only be about reducing friction. I think it should be about understanding friction and figuring out what friction's good, what friction's bad, taking out the bad and, and, and keeping the good there. I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And I think our discussion with Joe Rice would support that. Yeah. You know, but, you know, his whole model is in, in looking at the friction that exists in validation and consensus building. But there are many different types of, of friction. Well, and, yeah. And, and many different ways to solve them. And, and that's unique to each company in yeah. each marketing function and each sales function. And that's why, you know, you and I can't give our listeners well, here's the answer, or here are the points yeah. of friction you should eliminate. Well, you have to do that hard work of understanding. It makes the point, though, which is that your energy needs to be on understanding that friction. And, and as you just raised the point, in my head, my, my, my head always goes to the friction between the buyer and the seller. The friction that the buyer experiences trying to purchase your firm's services, hire its expertise. But you just hit the nail on, like like as Joe points out, there's friction all over the organization, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, and so there's it's like there's there's friction inside the clients' organizations. So so to your point of spending more time focusing on that, understanding that friction and how it works, and what friction's good, what friction's bad, what friction you can take away, is a much better use of your time than you know RFPs and value and values <laughs> book or something. I mean, not that those yeah. things are bad things to do. Like you need to do them, but I just I don't know that they're the most important thing. Well, they're building blocks, right? Yeah. You got to have some things in place before you go to these higher value, more specific types of of issues. But most people already have that other stuff in in place. And what they do instead of managing this tension is they go back and reinvent or recreate or rewrite the other stuff just to make work. And that's yeah. a that's a waste of time. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll share my own finger pointing for a second. I bumped into this a couple of times with clients where you can't get, and it goes back to your step one, you can't get the, the leader of the firm to agree on what their goals are. So it'll be like, well, we need more leads. Well, how many leads do you need? I don't know. We just need more. Well, what are good leads? Uh, we just need, I don't know. We just need more. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's our revenue target? Well, I don't know. We're just directly trying to get to 10 million. Uh, okay. How many deals do we need to get that? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I, I just, we, we bump into that a lot where it's like, there's just this fuzzy sense that they want more from marketing, but there's not real clarity on what more is, which I think in, in the end, the reason I share this is I do think that that ends up putting marketing in these boxes where it's like, well, just go crank out some more demand gen because we need more leads because so-and-so says we need more leads. Yeah. Do we really? Or, or or not? Maybe we do, but and I'm a big believer on like, you got to get agreement on, on how many leads and what they look like. Because if you don't yeah. do that, then it, if it's just directionally more, then to your point, you're just going to keep throwing more resources at, at demand gen because what else are you going to do? Because that's mm-hmm. what you've been asked to do is deliver the maximum number of leads possible in, in human existence. So, okay, I'll just ram out some more videos and crank up some more research or whatever. Yeah. So, Yeah. And then the quality of the leads go down and then you're in a downward spiral. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm circling back to your first step, which is like, you got to get shared metrics and agreement on what your goals are here. And yeah. I'm just, I, I continue to be shocked at how frequently that's not a thing. 
Okay, so number three, let's jump to the third step. So you got three steps here. So first step is about getting shared goals. Second is spending more time on reducing or managing friction in the buying process and maybe a little bit less time on demand gen and RFPs and that kind of stuff. And so what's step three? What's the third thing you got to do to get alignment here? Uh, The third thing, and maybe this is the, I don't know if this is the hardest or the simplest thing to do, but it's you have to learn how to play a long game and a short game simultaneously. Because the salespeople are going to be focused on hitting quota for the year and maybe even for a quarter. And they want to close a deal quickly in order to get there. That is the nature of sales. You're not going to change it. It may have a range based on your firm's culture and intensity around sales and your sales process, your sales philosophy. But even with those things in place, salespeople are going to be more short-term thinking than marketers. Marketers are going to be thinking about the brand and the legacy of the firm and culture and all of those stewardship types of attributes that marketing should be driving. But the two are not mutually exclusive because multiple short terms (laughs) make up the long term. It's understanding when you make these short-term choices, what are the long-term implications, both on, on the culture, the brand, but also, also the financial well-being. There is no absolute purity of sales pursuit in closing revenue. And we, we talked about that to some degree with uh, Brian Caffarelli when we talked about good revenue and bad revenue. But this is about being attentive to that good revenue and bad revenue and thinking long-term about the firm. I really like this a lot, actually. I always have this sense that in a lot of firms, like the long-term goal is a little bit underappreciated. You know, there's such a short-term focus on like, well, we got to get these deals done this quarter, this year. This is the revenue target for this year. And there's maybe some fuzzy sense of like a revenue target three or four years out, but there's not real clarity on what, they want the firm to be known for, what issues they want to solve, what markets they want to own, that kind of thing. And I, I think it's really important. It's like, you know, we for years we ran EOS at Rattleback. And I and I think one of the best things about EOS is that you you establish a, a long range goal, you know, a big hairy audacious goal, a 10-year type thing. You establish a three-year thing, you establish a one-year thing, you establish a quarterly thing. And when you do it all together, it helps you see, well, like what we do this quarter affects whether or not we're ever going to get to that 10-year vision or that three-year goal. And I just think that there, there's probably more of that that needs to happen inside sales and marketing units to recognize, to your point, well, if we're trying to get here, every deal that we make along the way influences our ability to get there. And if, if we do a bad deal, we're going to get off the path. You know, that path will not lead us to that place and what we're trying to get. And so that's a really great way to look at it. And I think, Jason, that's where leadership is so important because it takes prudence to discern. Uh, oh, 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 to, oh, to discern. Oh, wait, no, no. Oh, gosh, I'm in pain. Prudence again. Oh, that's right. That's situational it's, it's, it's awareness. Please let me get to February before you make. I don't want to be prudent. I want to be bold. I want to think big. I want to attack. Well, I think, you, again, you don't understand the word prudence. Prudence does not prevent you from being any of those things. 
So anyway, prudence, prudence is important because you need to discern and it's situational. So that's why leadership is so important in managing this tension. All right. So we're at wrap time. Now, before we wrap though, I'm going to, I guess, put you on the spot. So you laid out sort of three steps to get more alignment, to get marketing sales on the same page. You also laid out sort of a, a mood. I don't know how else to put it, but like a, a feeling underlying all that, this notion of, 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 you know, your, your goal is to get the most out of this tension, not to eliminate it, you know, not, not to say, Hey, there's a problem here. We've got to fix it. We're going to kumbaya. We're going to solve it. It's, it's about understanding the tension. Now, anyway, what's your one kind of biggest piece of advice, you know, walking into 2022 for firm leaders, if this is a pressing challenge for them that they're saying, Hey, we, we are just not on the same page here. What's the first thing they should do? Maybe even before these three steps, if there is something before. Yeah. Great question. I think the the thing that firm leaders do best and should do in this situation is set higher expectations. And by that, I mean, demand more from your sales and marketing teams that actually deliver strategic impact for the firm and, and make life in the firm better. And in recognizing this is a tension that needs to be managed is where it starts. But if there's one thing, nothing changes till something changes. And that's the the managing partner and the practice leaders demanding something better of their teams. I like that. All right, man. Good way to start off the new year. I'll talk to you next week. We'll try to get alignment between you and I for the next podcaster. <laughs> Good to be on the horn with you, buddy. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh, oh.